Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of Field Notes, the weekly podcast on matters agribusiness. I'm your host TR Vivek. We've lined up a cracking show for you this week. Stick around till the very end. You can listen to Field Notes on multiple platforms. You can find us on our website www.businessline.in or follow us on Spotify or Google Podcast apps for instant new show alerts and several other interesting podcasts from the business line. Thanks for all your encouraging mails and messages. A very special shout out to Mertens Robin, a young third generation farmer from Teni in Tamil Nadu. Uh, Mertens says he loved uh, last week's podcast on bananas and wants us to do a show on spices. We'll try our best, Mertens. If you'd like us to discuss any issue in particular or suggest people you'd like to hear on the pod, tweet us at businessline using hashtag fieldnotes. Alternatively, you can write to me at the email in the show's description below. Part one of today's show, we will be talking organic farming. And in part two, we'll look at a new watermelon variety that's yellow. Yes, yellow and not red that has hit the market. What is organic farming? Is it an ideology, a high horse for virtue signaling or a cult or a hipster code or indeed a sustainable business? How do you know something is organic and what makes for a genuine organic produce? To talk about the opportunities and challenges and the myths and realities of organic farming and food systems, uh, we have on the show uh, Rajshekar Seelam and Sajan Raj Kurup. Uh, Raj Seelam is the founder of India's largest organic food brand, 24 Mantra. I'm sure you've encountered the brand in supermarket shelves and assorted uh, e-commerce platforms. 24 Mantra works with around uh, 45,000 organic farmers in 15 states across the country and sells close to 200 organic products ranging from staples like rice and dal to ready-to-cook mixes. Uh, Raj Seelam is uh, an IIM Ahmedabad graduate. Uh, and has worked uh, long many years, uh, had worked for long many years at a large agribusiness company selling pesticides and fertilizers. From being the devil's agent, shall we say, he turned into an apostle of organic good in 2004. Uh, Sajan Kurup uh, is the founder of Creative Land Asia, a large advertising firm. Uh, Sajan has decided to invest some of the millions he made in advertising into a new organic farm venture called Saint Farm. Saint Farm aspires to be an integrated farm to fork affordable organic platform. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Morning. Uh, hello, Raj. How are you? Fine. Thanks. Thanks for uh, the small in- intro. Thank you. Uh, hello, Sajan. How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. Thank you. Lovely morning and uh, very good morning to all of you as well. Raj, I'll begin with you. Uh, you were a sort sure. of pioneer in the branded organic space. Um, tell us how you got in and also why you gave up eating cabbage and cauliflower. Why no gobi manchurian for Raj? Uh, of course, now I eat, but not uh, earlier. <laughs> I come from a farming family. So immediately after campus, I joined this uh, large agribusiness company selling fertilizer, pesticides and seeds. And of course, uh, my basic graduation is also in agriculture. So we were taught to use more pesticides, more fertilizers. So that is the way, only way to increase production. So obviously I joined this business and then was there for a long, uh, reasonable amount of time. And I think uh, somewhere in the early 90s, then uh, I used to work in the field, working with farmers and then uh, educating them about fertilizer, pesticides, how to use more <laughs> kind of thing. But that's when also I realized that uh, 
what I was eating was heavily contaminated. I'd seen uh, farmers dipping uh, with potatoes in uh, pesticides, cabbage, cauliflower, almost every day or every alternate day getting sprayed. Now I understand uh, farmers actually put uh, chemical uh, pesticide tablets inside the cabbage, cauliflower, because the consumer doesn't want any pest and, uh, uh, inside when they buy it. And, uh, the, and it is also one of those uh, crops which gets heavily infected. So that was one thing. So that's why I think I stopped eating quite a few things, uh, saying that this is not what I want to eat, because ultimately food uh, should be nourishing, it should not become a poison. Similarly, even a crop like green gram, which is 60, 75 days crop, when I joined the industry, there were hardly any pesticide use. When I quit in 2000, there were at least three rounds of four rounds pesticide being used. So everything uh, became contaminated. So that, I think I started, uh, I used to keep notes and then about ideas, etc. 92 was the first time I made notes saying that I should do something when I get a chance. And early 90s also, this uh, farmer suicide started happening and coming from a farming family, it kind of affected me. And I said, whenever I get a chance, I should do something about it. And of course, those days, there's nothing really called organic. At least we never heard in India, other than whatever is the traditional farming, which the government was desperately trying to change. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's how it started. And then the third uh, uh, incident was when my father got diagnosed with cancer. And then I started uh, uh, researching uh, for various treatment options. That's when I realized the incidence of cancer is dramatically increased. Of course, one is because of better detection and second also because of the contaminated food, contaminated environment, etc. And I think 2004 was the first time I had some money of my own uh, coming from a farming family and working for a company, great company, but not a good paymaster. I didn't have really any money. So then I think I started some other business and then uh, luckily I sold it and then got uh, some money. And then, then I said, let me live my dream. So that's how I think I started 2004. So always the vision has been very clear that whatever we do, we should be able to help farmers. Second, uh, we should be able to produce pure, good food. And the third is do our little bit to make this environment a better place. I also come from a philosophy saying that food is uh, curative. Food also should be enjoyed. It should not become a punishment in the name of health. So I think that's been the basic thinking uh, behind Stay Star 24 Sajan, uh, I know ad guys like to think of themselves as a bit batty, but you seem nuts, you know, to want to sink in your hard-earned wealth into farming and the two organic farming. Yeah. <laughs> No, you know, in fact, um, see, the, the journey started quite a while back, you, you know, and there is a, obviously, um, when you get into something like this, there's a certain amount of passion, there's a certain amount of experience that comes into play. And uh, then, of course, there has to be a sincere amount of purpose, right? This is not an easy thing to get into. So I come from a family which is like a fourth generation farmer family, but um, it's not like we've ever grown up on farm or we've farmed. Um, we've, we've been city sleekers living that life, you know, uh, living in different 11 different countries. Then uh, in about, uh, say around 2018, 19, I'd actually invested in, a, in an apiary. Obviously, we all sort of started moving towards a little more conscious sort of lifestyle, right? We're worrying a little more about what we eat, etc. So it starts as a personal journey. Uh, when I set up my first apiary, I started going and spending a lot of time there, right? And through the entire thing, sort of meeting a lot of uh, different people who are into this, um, into into the more sustainable way of living and producing. 
And uh, through that, I got acquainted to a, a very small uh, organic farming company based out of uh, Ahmedabad and, you know, run by uh, Nehal. And, uh, you know, th- we started talking about, I got really interested and intrigued uh, and said that, look, you know, this is something that, you know, there's always this, every city slicker has this dream, like, you know, one day I'm going to go and farm. You only know, you don't know. It sounds very romantic, but it's damn tough, right? Um, so through the, and then I think then cut to pandemic, right? That's when uh, suddenly uh, it doesn't matter which part of the world you live in, lived in, where how affluent your locality was, uh, you started really worrying about uh, your food. Right. And uh, I sort of remember spending, I mean, eight, almost eight months completely living in my uh, in my house. And uh, I used to eat only one time a day. So I'm a practicing yogi. So I only eat once a day. Uh, and when the, we started worrying about what to eat and uh, every so every tomato that came in, you're looking at the tomato very carefully. You're looking at every vegetable that comes in, you're washing it with soap. And it was just almost paranoia at that point in time. And you started really thinking about the food. This is when I called Neil and I said, you know what, let's, uh, I think uh, in, this is a time I'd already started sort of engaging with them and said that, you know, look, I'm going to come in completely because I just, I do see a huge uh, opportunity in moving um, a lot of consumers uh, and sort of convincing them to think a little more about the food, right? Mm-hmm. So, which is what the genesis of uh, Saint Farm was. Is that you know it, it really doesn't matter. You know, uh, finally we realized that um, um, much as you we may be chasing, um, you know, whether it's we are chasing wealth, we are ch- chasing uh, uh, you know uh, a certain standing, uh, whether we're chasing prosperity. Finally, just one little tiny thing can come and change everything about the way you live, right? And this is where I said that I know that I know technology very well. I, I sort of bring in a lot of um, tech expertise on, uh, on, you know, whether it's back end, whether it's farm tech, whether it's um, the front end part of it, whether it's UI, we, we understand that really, really well. And the whole conversation started on how do we make uh, organic the way of life? It's not, it doesn't, it's not, uh, in, a, in, uh, in most parts of the world and in India, I think it's become a little bit of a lifestyle sort of a product, right? Where people are willing to pay a little more. Uh, but I think uh, good food and the right food is not a choice. It should be the right of every human, right? So I've just embarked on this uh, as foolish as it may seem um, on trying to really make it a lot more affordable and more accessible. That's what I am. I'm, I may not, I'm not a, I'm not an expert at farming, right? Uh, but I, I, I know that I can be uh, of incredible help in sort of making things a lot more accessible and affordable. Um, we understand the, uh, the metrics of it. And this is the journey I'm on. And, you know, uh, it's only the beginning. We'll see there's a long way to go. By God's grace, we will. Raj, uh, give us an overview of the organic business landscape. Uh, you know, is, is there a large enough opportunity or, or are we talking about a niche sort of urban lifestyle fetish here? I think uh, this is always, I think every time I get asked this question, uh, whether it's a fad or this thing. So now the organic movement has been there uh, since the early 60s with the start of the hippie movement, right? And then it has been continuously growing. And in fact, uh, 2008, uh, when the global uh, market stand and when the recession happened, that was a test case uh, whether organic will stay or because it's a fad, it'll drop off. 
but even during those periods uh, the growth rate came down from about 12 13% to about 8% but it continued to grow and in fact uh, during the recent pandemic also the market has grown considerably like the us market has grown uh, it was trending around 5 6% then it went up to about 12% and similarly what we see in india so people uh, definitely see a, a tangible uh, uh, benefit in growing, uh, going uh, organic because there are two things one is uh, the negatives and then the positives so if you look at the daily food which we eat uh, obviously pesticides people use pesticides fertilizer etc and when you use pesticides the residues will not be nil so the government also fixes something called a minimum maximum allowable residue limit and based on one study done by science csc science center for science and environment uh, many years back they found that uh, the pesticide residues in uh, food in india is anywhere between 2 to 74 times uh, so that means there is nothing but slow poisoning and the danger of pesticide is well known it's been well documented it definitely uh, leads to uh, changes in the body mutations resulting in cancer obviously affects uh, reproductive health it affects uh, neurological development of children and then of course autism is also one uh, manifestation of that so a lot of this is well documented and when people use a lot of fertilizers for a period of time the heavy metal concentration in the soil increases which ultimately come back into the field few years back we had a controversy about heavy metals in uh, a popular brand etc Mm-hmm. similarly we had in uh, beverages uh, pesticide residues etc because the water also gets contaminated the soil gets contaminated so these dangers are well documented the second bigger thing which is little bit below the radar is uh, antibiotics and hormones in fact uh, i am also an active farmer so i have a small uh, poultry farm and also a small dairy farm apart from other things and uh, the amount of uh, hormones and uh, Uh, let's say antibiotics used in poultry is horrific uh, almost uh, the feed itself gets mixed with these things and the cold chicken are fed daily so when we eat egg egg, egg is in fact one of the most complete foods uh, which we can get it's heavily laced with uh, those pesticides uh, harm uh, pesticides of course because the feed uh, itself is pesticide laden and a lot of times junk gets used in animal feed and the uh, antibiotic residues hormone residues in fact uh, it's been uh, i'm still figuring out how to go without of course i don't use it so i've lost almost 50 60% of my flock in the last 3 years so i'm still figuring out ways how to manage this better and of course there are definitely some improvement but still long way to go similarly in dairy so i think this is uh, uh, the second issue and third in uh, uh, food obviously there is as much pesticide used in storage as in the field and that again is contamination because i think when you you grow most crops for once or twice a year and you have to store for a long period they attract insects etc so that's the uh, other thing and fourth in lot of products i think people use preservatives and you have a nice sounding name called nature identical colors nature identical uh, this uh, flavors whatever but they are nothing but synthetic uh, the, uh, chemicals which are kind of manufactured and a lot of times of course it's, they people say safe but uh, we realize 20 years 30 years down the line that something is carcinogenic and they suddenly ban it and a lot of times allergies and other things are also related to this if you have a wheezing uh, 
uh, asthmatic or anything, the doctor, one of the advisors will give is uh, stop using uh, all this uh, biscuits, chocolates, and then uh, your uh, uh, beverages, bottled beverages, etc. So I think, so that is one is well documented. Obviously organic means none of this. So uh, which uh, immediately, because a lot of times, one is of course these things uh, uh, poison your body. And second is uh, they make you resistant to antibiotics. And third, uh, because of this, it interferes with the metabolism and then your nutrient absorption in the body itself may not be great. And when it comes to the positives, obviously there have been controversies. Some people saying that it's good, some people is not good. But I'll only point out to two or three things uh, which are beyond doubt. One is I think in terms of antioxidants, organic food has got 60 to 70% more uh, alkaloids which uh, result in antioxidants. And uh, obviously the uh, advantages of ant antioxidants are well known. And uh, it is also proven that uh, having uh, antioxidants naturally present in food is much more effective than taking antioxidant pills. Mm -hmm. Then the second thing is uh, uh, obviously vitamin C and a few other minerals have definitely been known to be much better in organic. Third uh, thing is there's only one study which has been done by USDA from 1949 to 1999. In this 50 years, uh, they have been analyzing the, the quality of the produce and they found that uh, the nutrition uh, uh, decrease, uh, whether it's proteins or certain uh, minerals or uh, vitamins, etc., the decline has been anywhere uh, between 5% to 25% less. So I think uh, this is a thing. And of course, organic means uh, better flavor, better taste, because ultimately food is to be enjoyed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this thing so, definitely stand out. Yeah. Raj, in terms of the uh, proliferation of organic farming, say uh, uh, of the 140-odd million hectares of land, arable land in India, how much how much of it is organic? So currently, about 37 lakh uh, hectares is under organic certification. Out of that, about uh, 14 lakh hectares is under wild, what we call forest certification. And about 23 lakh hectares is under uh, uh, cultivation. So obviously, this is under various stages of certification. As you know, organic takes almost about uh, three years to convert to organic. Sajan, you've been uh, running pilots for the last couple of years, working uh, to create the building blocks of, of, of an integrated platform. Uh, yeah. What are the kind of challenges that you have encountered uh, in entering and creating this ecosystem? And in terms of uh, you know consumer apprehensions or expectations, uh, what have been your learnings about organic farming? So my one of the first realization, I'm, and I've been building brands for close to two and a half decades now, right? And we always, we have, one of the things that we've realized is that no amount of fear psychosis, no amount of uh, warnings are ever going to change the behavior of a consumer, right? Very difficult to do that. And, you know, if that was the case, then everybody would have stopped smoking. But fundamentally, I realized one thing when we started doing the entire, yes, there are, uh, you know, uh, organic farming means longer gestation, right? Just the conversion of land takes time, right? Uh, then again, it's also a huge amount of ethical practice, right? You're not, uh, you know, supply becomes an issue. Now, unless and until we try and make strong economic sense out of this entire model, right? it is not uh, going to be widely accepted practice, 
because finally we are this is we are living in a in the era of uh, consumerism where every day people are trying very hard to um, sort of shortest possible time produce as much as possible uh, in the cheapest way possible right in a in an environment like this the most important thing is to really sort of figure out the tenets of what are we trying to really do with this business as a business right as a philosophy organic is a fantastic philosophy but when you really start making business sense out of it is when you suddenly realize okay you know this is actually contrarian to what the practices of the world are so it starts from that so you you are uh, diametrically sort of sometimes in an opposite uh, space as compared to where the the uh, where the business is in the world so the for me the fundamental thing is unless you reach a certain scale certain size unless we create a certain you know when we especially when you speak to farmers now if you tell a farmer look you have to wait 3 years till it gets gets uh, the land gets certified what is my incentive what is my instant gratification how does this change my life right those are the questions that they are more interested in i've got this land if you're going to tell me that now to wait for 3 years you know and i have to invest that amount of time why should i do that right those become the challenges of this entire thing everyone they see that's the one thing that we realize that everyone realizes that this is the way to go but can you show me the the economic sense of these entire things so to me the first challenge that i've all uh, i've faced in the in the pilots that i've run is this whole thing about okay what is in it for me and we actually had to uh, re- sort of rewrite and uh, you know uh, you know our case studies multiple times to come back to uh, how it's going to make economic sense to all concerned all involved and through that you know through that process obviously you need to there is a lot of emotional appeal that must be uh, built around consumers to really go there for their own good right but first i think the most important thing is to really sort of uh, build an ecosystem which is uh, financially viable um, which uh, which uh, the the which takes into into consideration like the the upside the economic upside of uh, and the long term benefits of doing something like this uh raj uh, tell us about the uh, the economic sustainability of uh, being in the organic food business um uh, you told me yesterday when we were speaking offline uh, that you know it took about 13 years for uh, 24 mantra uh, to reach profitability um, does 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 you know it sounds perfect but does this really make economic sense um two things i think uh, this is like slow cooking right <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, one is of course it took us a long time to build the supply chain uh, because i think uh, we had a choice in fact uh, when we started off there were hardly any regulations but then it was most like uh, self regulation self discipline because uh, if you don't start with the right values then you can never change it so uh, Uh, in fact uh, there are a few companies which started with us and they got into everything like input trading etc and selling to the farmers uh, but many of them have kind of vanished uh, because of all the shortcuts so it's been uh, it's been a tough journey but as i said uh, uh, for me i think uh, uh, my mission of creating the sustainable livelihood for farmers and taking that uh, Uh, pure and uh, good produce to consumers has been very very important i guess uh, if it was just a commercial thing uh, then it definitely won't have made sense but uh, because of this overarching uh, mission uh, 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 it's kind of uh, i would say that uh, uh, been very very satisfying 
obviously for us three things are very important one is the impact we make on farmers the impact we make on consumers and third obviously business has to be profitable it has to eventually give returns uh, mm-hmm. so uh, i guess the first two parts uh, uh, we have fulfilled very well and now the third part has started kicking in so given uh, that we have created this entire base uh, uh, i'm uh, sure that whatever uh, this profits etc will continue to be sustainable and then we'll create more impact so if it's just business proposition definitely on time made sense but because uh, uh, for me the other things uh, were equally if not more important it's kind of uh, been very satisfying then a question uh, for both of you um, does it mean that to be in this business you know uh, whether whether you are a, a large organization selling things to the consumer or even as a farmer Uh, who's producing the food you need to almost have a missionary zeal about about organic food and systems rather than just the desire uh, to create prosperity and wealth uh, sajan uh, go ahead so i fundamentally feel that uh, of course uh, you know anything that we get out there and try to do and when you're going slightly against the grain of the or you know when you when you're choosing not to take the path of least resistance there needs to be a certain you have to have a north star about how you want to go about the business so um, whether it's the farmer who's in this entire thing whether it's a trader whether it's a businessman there has to be a certain strong north star uh, to me as uh, someone who has just walked into this uh, sort of business um, i think uh, it's about um, figuring out a way to actually sort of incentivizing that north star right uh, it's not about having a missionary like zeal a few can afford to have that and i'm i'm telling you there are lots of people there are amazing people that i've met and i've met some great farmers i've also met some farmers who are very clearly saying that uh, are you know um, this doesn't make sense for me right so uh, i'm not going to judge either because the at, at the end of the day if this has to uh, become a, uh, a sort of a widely accepted way of uh, sort of doing business then we need to incentivize the north star that's been my clear take uh, on this entire thing we wait if i may add yeah see i think when it comes to farmers obviously there are few farmers uh, who want to do because the right thing irrespective of whatever the consequences but i think for the large majority of farmers and most of our farmers are small the average land holding of most of our farmers whom we work with about 5 to 10 acres obviously for them it's a means of livelihood they can't go and take a risk saying that i will do organic because it is good for her good for everyone uh, because at the end of the day he has to feed his family he has to educate his children and take care of health and other things mm-hmm. uh, so i think uh, so that's been uh, uh, so obviously we realize that so one we look for farmers uh, have that little bit of sattvic attitude but more important our effort in this last 16 years 17 years has been how do we make sure that organic farming uh, is predictable and then doable with and kind of cut off uh, most of the risks so i think in this last uh, 17 years we have heavily invested in uh, developing the body of knowledge uh, uh, and then building a package of practices how to improve soil fertility the organic way how to control pests and diseases how to improve the quality uh, so that the farmer gets uh, better returns 
So, and uh, we have also been uh, forefront of advocating a science-based approach to organic farming compared to what people talk about Bhumutra, etc. Because we have to use science. So we have worked very closely with a lot of universities in devising this, compiling successful farmer practices. So the idea is how do we make sure that when a farmer takes up organic farming with us, by and large, 80% of the time uh, works for him. Because that 20%, whether you're a conventional farmer or organic farmer is dependent on nature and other things. Mm. So that's what we have done. So today, and uh, that's why I think our retention rate of farmers has been uh, very high. And second is uh, uh, we are also able to keep on attracting new farmers. And what we have seen is uh, people, and of course, when we go to a farmer, we don't uh, tell him that you do organic farming because you're going to get rich. Because uh, uh, we tell them because this uh, uh, one is, of course, uh, it'll, it'll give you definitely uh, better uh, production and then also, uh, I would say, better income. What we have found empirically is people make about 15 to 30% more net income by going organic. Uh, uh, one is because of a little bit reduction in cost and second, the kind of uh, premium uh, we pay to the farmers. And of course, people require that much because otherwise there's a lot, uh, lot more effort involved. So obviously, a farmer has a small piece of land and he has to make a living and he can't do philosophical reasons. So that's why I think we have invested uh, quite a bit of time, effort, money in trying to develop methods, uh, tools and techniques to make sure that uh, organic farming uh, practices work uh, almost 80-85% of the times. So we've developed uh, the package of practices and then how to control pests and diseases using locally available uh, herbs, etc. Then uh, the second level of defense is using biological means of control uh, pests and diseases because in nature for every bad thing, there's something which uh, protects it. So for every harmful pest or disease, there's a parasite or a predator which keeps in check. So that's what we have done. And what we have seen, and then second, what we have also done is, uh, obviously seeds make a lot of difference. And in organic, a lot of times, uh, people use open pollinated varieties, uh, not necessarily hybrids. Of course, we don't have anything against hybrid as long as uh, that works for us in the organic system. So there, what we have done is we have developed this uh, seed farmer concept, where we get the parent seed from universities, research institutions, give it to good farmers, they multiply under our supervision, then we take it, clean it, grade it, and give it back to them, and they exchange among themselves. That has also helped in improving the yield and also the quality of the produce. So because of all this, what we have seen among our farmers is the incomes have gone up by 15 to 30%. One is a little bit reduction in first, and second is uh, 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 whatever premium we pay. And uh, third thing, what we have seen is uh, uh, the yields. A uh, lot of times, I think the question is uh, because or organic means less yields, etc. But what we have seen is uh, in uh, uh, rain fed areas, there's really no drop in yield. It's more or less similar. It could be there in the first one or two years where the transition has to be managed carefully. And a lot of irrigated areas where the pesticide uh, other usage uh, has been relatively modest. Uh, there also we don't see much challenges. Obviously, in areas like Punjab, Haryana, or Delta region and Tamil Nadu, uh, where the usage of pesticide fertilizers is high, the transition period could be longer. Okay. And third thing, what we have seen is the financial risk comes down for the farmers. A lot of farmer suicides happen uh, because farmers uh, 
borrow money for fertilizer pesticide and uh, they have uncertain yield or if the yield is good price is not there they get into losses in fact study after study has proven that farmers are not even able to generate enough surplus income to meet their revenue expenses forget investment in agriculture etc so they don't have to borrow money for fertilizer pesticides and then uh, and uh, we also emphasize on diversified cropping diversified source of income because ultimately the farmer might be very good soil might be very good but if the nature doesn't cooperate you are at risk so uh, the financial risk is less so that's why i think a lot of farmers get attracted to uh, joining our program uh, and third what we have found is uh, in uh, difficult times in drought years etc organic fields perform much better because the soil is much better it's able to retain moisture for a longer period of time and the third the kind of varieties uh, of crops which we select they are also that much more drought tolerant or uh, tolerant to excess uh, rains etc another related question here in terms of the input costs you know by avoiding commercial uh, pesticides or fertilizers the in- input cost for the farmer is is coming down yet we see uh, in the shop shelves that organic is almost uh, invariably about you know it's retails for twice or even thrice the price of of conventional foods why is that yeah so there are a few things one at the farmer level obviously the effort required to do organic is much more if you take conventional yes he has to buy fertilizers etc but he put some four bags of 50 kg that is done but in case of organic to achieve a equivalent effect you will require about 5 tons of manure right so this they have to generate on their own by using cow dung and any other waste vegetative matter which is in the soil second the farm they have to also grow alternate with crops like legume crops which fix nitrogen in the soil and cereals which take out nitrogen from the soil so if you don't alternate then obviously uh, uh, the depletion happens very fast and the productivity comes down and third farmers have to generally in irrigated areas grow uh, what we call green manuring crops green manuring crops you grow up to flowering stage then you plow it back into the soil because this fixes nitrogen in the soil and improves carbon content in the soil but it makes it is... sound like uh, organic farming is you know uh, incredibly more back breaking work than conventional farming uh, does that make make for a bad sales pitch to a farmer to turn organic uh, and and Sadhu, uh, after raj finishes you know probably you could also share your experiences you know on on this or of converting people sure, sure. into organic uh, during your pilots so it definitely requires much more effort but then i think uh, obviously uh, you have to balance it uh, with uh, the benefits one is uh, increase in income predictability of uh, production and incomes and third uh, what it does to the family because they don't get exposed to pesticides etc in fact i think uh, cancer among farmers is a big issue so much so that there's a cancer express going on from punjab to sri ganga nagar in rajasthan Uh, where most of the farmers uh, happen to be cancer patients because they are exposed so much to pesticide so obviously uh, uh, it is uh, not something you can just go and then ask farmer to do and then he will do it uh, so it requires one a lot of uh, convincing and second lot of handholding uh, throughout the period because we can't buy till the third year gets uh, ended as organic right but meanwhile how do we keep them motivated how do we keep supporting them to ensure that the transition is uh, relatively easy 
So uh, this is the kind of things. Yeah. Sajan. Yeah. So you know, it's something that I would touched upon a little earlier as well, right? I think um, so. One of the things that has really worked for us, and um, you know, when we speak to farmers, is the it's a guarantee, right? That uh, the the model that we run, we sort of we just we buy everything that they produce, right? For the farmer, it's uh, obviously it's it is back breaking work when you're when you when you when you turn whether you're going the normal way or not, right? But it's all a question of how much that piece of land is going to yield him in terms of his revenue. So when you give them a certain amount of guarantee and at a certain price, which is probably better than what he would probably otherwise fetch in the market, that is his. Uh, strongest incentive to really be a part of this entire thing over a period of time the benefits of this they start understanding and then hopefully that will become a way of life but at this juncture the first and the most important thing that i've seen through my uh, my little experience has been that what they really want is a certain guarantee right mm-hmm. and which is what we sort of offer so we've been going about it in a uh, far more deliberate and a slow sort of way like somebody was asking me you know competition is hotting up in the organic sector and i said uh, you know i said the competition beats the whole purpose of organic right mm-hmm. i think there are lots of people when it comes to food there should be no competition what is there there's, there has to be a lot of co-creation and collaboration there are lots of people who are doing it right we are probably the the, the we, we are the latest entrant in this entire thing in fact nehal who uh, sort of runs the the entire on ground thing for me he's been doing this for the last 15 years right and one of the things that we've seen is that uh, the, the most important thing is to make the economics of this make sense for them straight up so a certain amount of guarantee really 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 works with the with the farmers right and once you tell them look okay whatever you make i'm going to produce and at this price i'm going to i'm, I'm going to pick it up at this price so he has nothing to worry all he has to do is he has to just sort of commit to the entire thing then we also we also have a team of uh, sort of uh, agronomists and uh, who sort of go in and they they train them they spend some time with them right the idea is not to really um, sort of be too intrusive in the in the way they they but most of them kind of so far whatever we've seen are kind of uh, very uh, they're quite amiable and they they uh, they love it when you the, the first thing when they hear that okay you get guaranteed uh, is you know your 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 produce will be picked up is probably one of the strongest factors we've seen which has worked in the favor of them even giving it a serious uh, sort of a thought there are obviously fortunately there are so many producers right now there are so many farmers who are already doing the entire thing it's about keeping them incentivized then we figure out that there's always the 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 urge to cut corners right where you could get a certificate on your land then you may suddenly say okay why don't i use this uh, you know the, um, some sort of a seed which is not uh, probably meeting this sort of standard so what we've done is that we really put down a few sort of parameters that we really follow saying that if only does this uh, if the seed is of this quality this is the sort of process that has happened even in terms of sorting and processing uh, you know if only if it reaches a certain level then then this sort of uh, belongs to the same farm sort of label so we're also looking at um, aggregating a lot idea is not to sort of reinvent the wheel uh, you know and try and do everything by yourself if we really want to make this into a, a strong um, uh, movement of sort if you want it to be not an alternate lifestyle but the mainstream bringing it into the mainstream it means we need to also look at the lay of the land and try and understand how can we be useful in making it more mainstream 
so for me it's more about uh, if if there was a mission from the same farm perspective i want to contribute to making organic a more mainstream way of working sajan in the process of making this mainstream i uh, there is a feeling that uh, the biggest inhibitor for a consumer from making a switch to organic is is the pricing uh, yes. can there ever be pricing parity Uh, between organic and non-organic is that even desirable like say you know uh, pricing parity between uh, say if i were to use the example of uh, electricity you know between uh, re- renewables and conventional uh, sources of electricity can there ever be pricing parity see price fundamentally is uh, it's uh, a factor of demand and supply right uh, and uh, and the um, when i say demand and supply it's also the amount of people who are willing to the the amount of effort somebody is willing to put in right and the price that they're going to be able to uh, they're going to be uh, sort of uh, claiming for that so to me over a period of time uh, price parity is definitely possible right but that's something is that all- desirable uh, given given the amount of hard work that organic farming involves see that, that's exactly what i'm saying see uh, or or should this consumers uh, should we be uh, mentally prepared to pay a premium a substantial premium for what is uh, what is good for us and what is good for the society and farmers no one wants to pay a substantial premium for anything right i think as a as somebody who is in the business i don't want to assume that is a consumer willing to that is his choice but is that something that i'm going to ever uh, hold as uh, you know uh, something that i want i'm going to walk in no i want to make it as viable as possible for the consumer i'm not going to say you have to pay now you know because uh, because we are doing all this hard work no he'll say that's that's not the how the consumer is going to react for the consumer we are trying to bring it yes is it expensive right now is it uh, is there price parity there is no price parity is there is it expensive yes it is expensive and our at, it attempt is that how do i make it more affordable and accessible and there, there one of the most important thing is to increase the supply to make sure that they, this becomes little more mainstream right today, today when you walk into uh, if you go to some of the larger malls you will see one organic section you see it's growing you see that there are more and more people who are willing to pay that price but i don't think that is that should be how organic should be looked at saying that oh this is a slightly more expensive lifestyle way only for the rich and the ones who can afford to i'm sorry i really feel that uh, the organic way of life is the right for anyone everyone has a right to eat great food and as people who have taken it upon ourselves to sort of go into this business the idea is to make it as affordable and as accessible as we possibly can uh raj what what indeed is is uh, organic what constitutes uh, an organic produce uh, from a consumer point of view you know i i, I really have nothing to go by but uh, trust you you know uh, what i see on the shop shelves and what is labeled as organic i have to trust that and buy it as organic what what are some of the industry standards i asked you because uh, you know as, as as one of the pioneers you've been instrumental in shaping the regulatory direction of regulatory framework uh, in this sector uh, see ultimately organic is about a, uh, uh, a philosophy where we talk about sustainability of farms farmers Uh, and the food uh, we eat, and also about environment. Uh, and uh, just uh, stepping back, uh, does organic food need to be necessarily expensive? Uh, 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 I don't think uh, that would be the right way to say. But uh, organic uh, 
food production today involves a certain extra costs for the farmer for the uh, let's say the processor manufacturer over a period of time this price difference can come down uh, and in few products might be same and lot of products the price difference could be uh, uh, still there so that's how it's evolving now when it comes to the organic ecosystem organic is a process based certification right so and then uh, 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 in india i think we have the standard for national program for organic production which was uh, done in the early uh, 2000 Uh, we have tried to kind of modulate uh, based on a uh, little bit on us and uh, european thing so today the three major standards one is the indian standard then the us standard and uh, 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 european uh, organic standard and uh, whether consumer whether is in india or elsewhere obviously he wants the best quality most uh, genuine stuff uh, so today i think uh, the organic certification uh, for npop is administered by apida so it is the accreditation agency and then they have accredited uh, many certification agencies to inspect and certify and in turn they get uh, annually audited so we have the npop uh, logo india organic logo uh, if you are certified which we can use and a few years back i think uh, i think the agriculture ministry came with the jaivik uh, bharat uh, the pgs uh, system kind of uh, thing which is again uh, loosely modeled on this but a uh, little different so that is yet to catch on and of course it's not uh, accepted uh, uh, other than in india whereas npop standards are accepted across the world so i think the first basic thing is having that certification logo on the pack Uh, to know that the consumer, uh, it's like ISA logo, whatever. That at least it meets certain basic standards. But there are two things to this. There's a spirit. There's a letter uh, of the law and the spirit of the law. Because I think this uh, organic certification is basically dependent on certification agencies coming inspecting every season. Uh, and what we follow in India is a group certification. So that means a group of farmers get certified because each farmer is small. Each farmer and farm farm is small, and then. obviously the cost uh, are high so the group certification kind of mitigates that group certification does that does that mean that one farmer certifying another uh the pgs system is like that whereas in uh, national uh, npop system which is the national program for organic production where the india organic logo is used there it is a third party third party certification so in pgs system the whole idea is Uh, your uh, farmers is peer review peer certified kind of thing uh, whereas the npop system is a third party system and worldwide that is the standard and that is what is accepted across the world you know raj so while, that letter, may, yeah. while that may work for say packaged goods you know uh, say you are ready to eat mixes or something ready to cook mixes uh, how do i ensure or uh, you know when i buy a kilo of tomatoes you know which does not come with labeling you know on the pack Uh, is trust my only savior uh see as i said i talked about the letter and spirit right so the letter is having a certificate and then being able to put a logo then the second part is spirit saying that on a day to basis you actually adhere to the standards and make sure that you follow this so that's where i think a reputation of also brand comes into play uh, and your traceability system comes into play right so that is what would distinguish so you have isa mark but then uh, uh uh 
obviously consumer stress for some few brands more than some other brands etc that is based on again the reputation of that brand and the company and the systems processes that uh, they follow so you have that basic thing in terms of the certification system over and above what we do as individual organizations makes a difference in building that confidence in the country Uh, Sajan, what are the challenges that you faced in maintaining the organic integrity of what you sell? Because we are talking organic, uh, uh, are there any supply chain challenges? Also, you know, uh, a crate of uh, organic tomatoes rubbing shoulders with with conventional produce does that affect uh, 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 the the quality of 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 what goes to the shops? Is there any unique so, challenges in the supply chain? Yeah. So, so for example, I mean, to, for us, there are. Uh, two uh, parts to it one is obviously uh, the not so perishable uh, you know parts of the goods and then there are the the fruits and vegetables which we were well, uh, we we've seen that that's where a lot of control needs to be exercised and which is something that we've piloted in 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 the greater region of ahmedabad uh, you know in gandhinagar where uh, we work with hyper local farmers as far as this is concerned it just what happens is that here um, only when we get the order is it harvested right so there are clear sort of uh, uh, sort of sort of uh, parameters we're putting down on this entire thing so that there is no one there is no contamination we don't even so we don't even believe in having any kind of a cold storage uh, or or it, sort of even even if large scale storage is not something that we really advise we re- if you really want to go this sort of a method so this is something that we piloting we have, we've started with uh, ahmedabad we looking at ncr as a region then we looking at the uh, mumbai and so a lot of met- metros we taking and we trying to we working with a lot of hyper local farmers to really create like a harvest uh, when ordered kind of a way of going about it so this is one method that we are uh, trying so far we've got some great response Uh, in Ahmedabad, which is sort of encouraging, and we are looking at taking this model across. And there are a lot of farmers. There are a lot of uh, you know hyper localizing. Some of these things are one way of having serious amount of control. Otherwise, when you uh, if 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 you sort of uh, turn this into a, a sort of a large scale procurement uh, business, then then there are lots of these risks where you don't know when is what what's uh, you know on the way somebody mixes something you don't know what what. what goes on adulteration as mr silam was also saying is a huge uh, uh, you know uh, sort of parameter to worry about but which is why we are going about it slowly very deliberately and saying that let's do it with utmost control as possible and uh, it will take some time but i think if we can actually sort of build a a chain of hyper local farmers who can cater to uh the, you know markets closer to them this is probably one of the best ways to sort of control it secondly when you do this uh, the whole idea of harvesting when the order is placed this means the consumer has to be willing to be to wait about approximately 18 hours right that to me is a smaller price to say and there are people and this year we are seeing a lot of lowest hanging fruit sort of coming in and uh, sort of subscribing to something like that where people are willing to wait a little bit uh, because they know it's going to come straight away harvested and, and there is a huge difference when you you'd see a uh, sort of a difference in the in the produce itself uh when it when it lands uh, in your in your plate so uh some of these things yes it's uh, you know it's slightly unconventional way of looking at things but i do see that the, there is a way to scale it uh, scale it up so hopefully hopefully we'll be able to do something in the next three or four quarters uh, if i may add yeah. to what sajan said 
Hmm. Because I think this integrity thing. So what we have done is we have developed a five-step process. One is we form farmers into informal groups, and if anyone violates, we expect the group to tell. Otherwise, the whole group gets penalized. And nice. uh, then second is uh, we have uh, people in the field. All our projects are in a 15-20 kilometer radius, and based on the crop, anywhere between 50 to 250 farmers, we have uh, one person stationed there. Their job is to visit the fields every day, and all these guys, all each and every farm is geotagged, and we have apps to track uh, all this activity. And uh, the other important thing is, uh, I don't think any farmer wants to spend unnecessarily use pesticide. So you, we should be able to give timely uh, uh, advice. So in our case, what we do is based on the crop. At the stage which is in, and the kind of climate, etc., then we keep giving advisories what to do to prevent pest and diseases because an organic prevention works better than that. So this second is this tight monitoring. Then we do these internal inspections, like I'm working with you as a farmer, uh, and I might become friendly and ignore something. So someone, let's say, working in Vidarbha, will go to Marathwada to inspect every season. So, like in our case, we do almost about seventy thousand inspections a year. One is to make the farmer is doing genuinely, and third is, uh, uh, second is uh, 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 that there's no contamination from the neighboring fields. And of course, the certification agencies they inspect every season. And for fifth is what we do is when we after they harvest the farmers, we draw samples and test for pesticide residues. Everything has to be zero. So this is how I think uh, we are able to control. So it is a combination of one is very tight monitoring, second is uh, giving timely advice to farmers so that I, first in the first case you prevent pest and diseases, and second if something happens then uh, you are able to give immediately some kind of uh, effective control measure. So I think this is the two fundamental things which are uh, key in assuring organic integrity. Uh, yeah, Raj. How does a, how does a farm turn from a conventional plot of land to an organic farm? Uh, what are the hoops that it has to jump through uh, to be certified as as organic farmland? Yeah. So I think typically once we select the farm and farmer, then we take down uh, whatever uh, things he has got, how many uh, and cattle he has got on the farm. Uh, 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 then. Uh, Uh, basically, we register him. There's a uh, uh, and this registration details we submit to the certification agency, and then they typically organize the inspections either uh, uh, based on the season, curry for rabi, and uh, basically the farmer what he needs to do is from day one start adopting organic practices. So that means uh, stopping use of fertilizer, stopping use of uh, pesticides. But meanwhile, also work we uh, and, uh, we tell him how to do good quality composting, normal composting, vermi composting. Then uh, we teach them uh, what are the various uh, pests and diseases and how to control or prevent using natural herbs like tulsi, neem, ginger, garlic, etc. And uh, we also advocate uh, uh, like uh, we advise them on treatment, seed treatment. Normally, seeds are treated with chemicals to prevent uh, soil-borne diseases. In our case, we use trichoderma and ash and other things uh, to prevent that. And then uh, we also, because ultimately organic is not so much of NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potash, but it is more about uh, how much uh, soil microbial activity is there, right? So uh, we need to keep on working on the improving the soil carbon content 
and uh, inoculating the soil uh, with uh, this uh, beneficial microbes because that's what these microbes extract the nutrition from the soil and give it to the plant. So we obviously use biofertilizers uh, like uh, nitrogen fixing bacteria, phosphorus solubilizing bacteria, potassium fixing bacteria. So these are the things. So obviously it uh, involves a lot of effort. So a lot of times what we do is a farmer has got some uh, 10 acres or five acres, then we say, you start with one, two acres and every year you transition some bit of it into the thing so that after a few years, then the whole farm becomes organic and then is able to generate uh, enough of these resources. Then we advise them to uh, follow crop rotation like uh, cereals and oil seeds or etc. followed by legumes, which are your pulses, which fix nitrogen in the soil. Then we talk about how to, how to also use integrated pest management methods like border crops. Uh, border crops are which are, attract the insects and then they take the uh, load if there is any insect and doesn't spread to the main crop much. So these are the things. So it's more about uh, obviously a farmer and organic can't, uh, let's say, go on a tour for one month and come back and discover pest. Uh, he can't apply any big pesticide, etc. So that's why it's, uh, one is the farmer's attitude is very important. And second is uh, uh, obviously the farmers have to be on the farm most of the time. So that is what uh, works. So other than that, uh, there's not much uh, uh, in terms of this. So he has to do this steadily. So there could be a small dip in yield in the first one, two years. But by third year, most of the farmers get back to normal yield. But they okay. also see a little bit reduction in cost. Of course, the effort involved is more. Okay, well, one last question for uh, both of you. Um, uh, is, is organic farming uh, sustainable at large scale? I ask you this because whenever I speak about organic farming to the scientific community, uh, especially uh, very senior scientists in the Indian Council for Agricultural Research, they almost bristle with anger, you know, saying that, you know, organic, this all this debate about organic farming actually does disservice to our attempts at nutrition security and, and, and feeding uh, a billion people. Um, what would be your counter to that? Uh, this has been a huge uh, challenge. In fact, uh, in the early 2000, uh, the World Bank uh, sponsored a project called National Agriculture Innovation Project. Uh, they funded more than 1,000 crores to ICA. And as an organic uh, sector, we also participated in that. Uh, and in the first, and this was like the entire ICR director general, deputy director generals, and then it's so various institutes, vice chancellors were part of this uh, process. It started kicked off in Hyderabad. And I remember then we submitted this proposal and then outrightly rejected. Then uh, I had to go on to the stage and uh, tell them saying that uh, why are you rejecting this? There are a lot of farmers who are doing this of their own course. Now, as a scientific community, it is for uh, you to, uh, one is see how to help them do this better. And second, you yourself can study whether it is really uh, going to affect uh, food security. So it's taken us a lot of years, but I think about uh, six, seven years back, the uh, farming systems uh, research group based at Modipuram, they did uh, a lot of experiments. And uh, the happy finding is that most of the crops uh, organic farming is competitive compared to conventional farming and they have now grudgingly recommended that it can be used in dry land farming and in certain uh, kind of things 
and empirical evidence itself shows that uh, there has been no real uh, decrease in yields particularly in rain fed areas and uh, lower input areas obviously in high putting here high input areas uh, uh, it does affect for the first few years and it will take little longer time so i think one is there is now grudging acceptance by by icr and some of the universities have set up special centers like darwad university has got a special organic farming center and plus few other universities uh, so that is one huge uh, change which has happened and uh, Uh, it's a matter of time uh, before uh, i think uh, it gets uh, even uh, better uh, accepted so a lot of effort has been involved both at a policy level working with the scientists uh, but i think today we have reached that stage and then people also know that uh, it doesn't really affect uh, food security or yields in most conditions and whether every farmer can do organic i doubt because uh, it definitely requires that much more effort and commitment so my sense is we can easily convert about 10% of the area to 100% organic and organic practices definitely make sense to each and every farmer even if let's say other farmers don't adopt because we see even where we are working uh, there are a lot of other farmers who have started adopting partial organic practices seeing other farmers being successful at it so one is this 10% is something definitely feasible and 10 to 15% i would say in the next 10 years or so uh, then uh, second thing is uh, uh, this uh, getting raj, raj, i think, raj, 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 I think we need to we need, we need to wrap up now uh, so i'm i'm uh, done on this point we are going to yeah you finish this point quickly i'll go to sajan and then we'll close no i'm done so basically i'm saying 10 to 15% 100% is organic is possible and the through this farmers organic practices getting transmitted to uh, partially or whatever to other farmers itself is a huge benefit uh, sajan organic at scale uh, will you be able to uh, yeah so yeah so i'll just take money on the on your investments in in the new venture i'm i'm uh, 100% sure we could then that's something that if the, the if you look at the genesis of organic you know it was like a hippie movement right there's a certain cultish um, attributes to organic i think the definition of organic is going to change as we go along right I, the it's a fundamental right to have good clean unadulterated food right and there are some great practices that uh, which involves very uh, no chemicals whatsoever it's not about trying to do it the hard way the most laborious way right to me it's about really what we should really try and do and which is what we are going to be attempting is to sort of make the whole uh, the whole concept of organic farming a lot more scientific today the most my uh, most amount of investment has gone into uh, you know sort of putting a lot of ai behind this entire thing right uh, especially in the back end for me it's not about knowing what consumers want but it's about figuring out uh, using artificial intelligence to sort of really understand uh, you know what would be the best practice for the land right how do i sort of automate some of these uh, sort of things can we drive certain amount of efficiency through that can the uh, can a ai model tell us more and more about uh, you know by constant monitoring like have we had done something for the dubai uh, municipality where we actually created remote uh, sensors that were embedded into the soil and that sort of told them the moisture content and the nitrogen content and all that we've sort of 
built on top of that we we have our own tech company so we built that and now we sort of deploying that across the you know uh, the acres of 350 400 acres of land that we sort of uh, cultivate on uh, which uh, sort of gives us a remote feedback on a daily basis on uh, you know certain nutrient content everything so it also shows uh, you know one obviously it goes in as a you know whether the farmers doing the job if it, you know if, if whether there is any contamination secondly it also gives you copious amount of data right so i'm trying to also use a lot of data see my my expertise comes from technology and creativity right and i want to really bring in i'm not stuck to the concept of uh you know the organic being a uh, a sort of a laborious way of getting uh, getting it you know this is that this is we want to we have to move on and uh, you know make it as scientific as we possibly can and that is absolutely going to be possible if you have the right kind of technological uh, sort of interventions and i think there's i mean uh, like uh, you know mr seelam's company and we, you know they they've invested quite a bit into the entire thing this is very very valuable um, sort of uh, knowledge uh, and and experience that's there and i think if uh, there are ways and means we can pull in some of these things i think i'm 150% sure that uh, this will convince the 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 scientific community this there is a great future as far as uh, uh, you know providing clean good food for all is concerned uh, food security is uh, of paramount importance obviously that's the, that's what we um, that 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 is that has to be at the center of whatever we do the center of what we do is not about just being uh, very close to a technique uh, um, you know and we need to move away from the the cultish uh, sort of meaning of what organic can stand for and look at how it can really benefit the farmer the land and the consumer on that note thank you very much raj seelam thank you sajan i'll be back with part 2 of the podcast after this welcome back to part 2 of the field note podcast watermelon they say is the perfectly politically correct fruit green on the outside and red on the inside but buyer the global agri giant wants to change the watermelon its new variety called yellow gold 48 is green on the outside but the color of chennai super kings jersey on the inside to tell us about it uh, we have mr k muttu uh, the head of vegetable seeds for south and southeast asia at bayer mr muttu why see our botanical experts around the world have always felt that the yellow watermelon uh, has been there even before the red watermelon what happened in the generations that followed after the identification of the watermelon was that because of the continuous cross breeding uh, that happened for generations the red watermelon actually uh, moved much faster than the yellow watermelon so in a nutshell uh, in our plant habitat yellow watermelon is there from since many many years now the reason why we in bayer vegetable seeds uh, came into this yellow watermelon space through our yellow gold 48 is primarily for the following reasons one uh, it tastes uh, very nice the sweetness is one of the highest and uh, it tastes like more or less like honey as my many of my friends tell us so the tasteness is the major driver and secondly the size of this fruit is 3 kg which is actually uh, very much preferred by the nuclear families today because it fits into their refrigerators they have a small family you they consume the entire fruit at single serve so these are some of the reasons why our consumers prefer the uh, 3 kg size fruits 
And on the nutritional side, um, this particular yellow watermelon has got uh, a nutrient called beta-carotene uh, pigment. Uh, this pigment is an antioxidant. So this is a differentiator to the red watermelon. Of course, let me be very clear that the nutrition values in the red and the yellow watermelon are same, but they offer differentiated uh, nutritions to the consumer, which actually goes very well with our nutritionists nowadays calling out for a more colorful plate being served uh, to the children. From the farmer friend, uh, the farmers are actually getting 30% more uh, price because of this uh, differentiation and uh, the sweetness that this particular yellow watermelon is uh, offering. Uh, so these are the major drivers why uh, we, we launched uh, this product. Okay. Uh, Mr. Muthu, why I asked you is because um, globally in terms of horticulture, for all the fruits, the trend seems to be towards uh, uh, redder seeming fruits. You know, if you take uh, guava or even jackfruit, uh, there, is a, there is a lot of emphasis on creating uh, redder varieties, copper red bulbs of, of jackfruit. Uh, this seems sort of counterintuitive, um, turning a red fruit into yellow. See, from our perspective, the driver for major of, major of our breeding objective uh, is primarily the, the taste and consumer preference. So this is the major uh, major driver. I agree that uh, there, is, uh, there is always a uniform pattern in, uh, in the vegetable space and in the fruit space, which is actually uh, uh, the area where our breeders focus on. But there are also many times that we also enter into that uh, little diversified uh, areas and space as well. For example, if you take capsicum, capsicum was generally, uh, we were actually uh, breeding only in the green uh, capsicum throughout the world, if you see. But now you will also see the yellow ones and red ones very popular in most of the retail chains. So, uh, so these diversifications always, the differentiated offers has always been there uh, in by all the seed uh, companies. And let me also explain about some of the, how we actually define the breeding objectives. The breeding objectives, we focus on three major stakeholders. Uh, one is the farmer, second is of course the consumers and the value chain uh, partners. So at farm level, we will focus more on uh, yield, quality, disease and virus uh, tolerance. At the consumer level, our focus is primarily on the taste, uh, size, the same, uh, convenience to carry home. So these are some of the areas which we, which we work on. And uh, in, in terms of um, a value chain, it is primarily the transportability and storability. These are the things our, our middlemen, our Monday people, and the retail chains like Reliance Fresh, they expect this transport, transportability and, uh, and uh, storage uh, is as the main criteria. So these are some of the areas with which we work on uh, with this breeding objectives. And here, for um, in this case, with yellow gold 48, it fits very well in terms of taste, uh, size, uh, transportation, because it has got a thick skin, which, which actually the firmness and compactness is very good. And then it also offers the differentiated uh, nutrition, excellent return on investment. So these are the major drivers why uh, we, are, uh, we are going in, in this direction. Mr. Butu, where can... Uh consumers expect to encounter uh, the yellow gold 48 uh, is it available uh, pan india now or you are trying it out in smaller clusters so we did the pilot and our trials for the last two years in many parts of india and uh, the product was uh, produce was available uh, during this summer seasons in the major markets like bangalore little bit around mumbai 
and uh, some places in UP as well. So our next uh, uh, season for yellow gold 48 is starts from September October. The sowing season starts, and it will be available uh, in the market from the next uh, spring and uh, summer, uh, starting from next February. Currently, whatever the trial fields that are in the ground that are almost harvested and some are yet to be harvested. Only those fruits will be available uh, in the market. What has been the reaction of farmers? What is in it for them? Is there any substantial in increase in yields that they experience with the new variety? Uh, yes. So uh, I can tell you an example of a farmer in, uh, in Karnataka where when the farmer used our trial plots and he also got some seeds from us and when he sold. And when he harvested, um, there was, he got 30% higher price. Uh, for his produce. This is very, very unusual, uh, right? Um, when you offer, when you go with a differentiated product, normally the middlemen and the value chain partners never accept it instantly, right? In the first right. few years, the, the companies which are launching, the farmers needs to educate the value chain partners more than the consumer to make it reach to the consumer. That's the normal experience that we have had for many, many years. That was not the case with this uh, yellow watermelon. Uh, for example, all, in all the plots where the trials had happened, the farmers were able to sell instantly and they all got 30% more price than the normal price. And this has also been very well recorded by the local uh, TV channels uh, that actually initiated a lot of excitement among the fellow farmers uh, because of which we got a number of uh, calls uh, for this. So overall, the experience has been uh, very, very good. Uh, and then... The stakeholders also very much liked it. People even tried transporting it from Bangalore, from near Bangalore to Mumbai, uh, just to see how the quality of fruits uh, manages the transportability and storability. So it was also available. It was also been available in Pune. So in that sense, I think we got an excellent response uh, from the farmers community, especially considering this being a differentiated product, getting such an overwhelming response in the first year itself is a very great thing. I would also like to tell another experience where we got an excellent feedback. We normally conduct an event called Pragati Divas. So this event, this Pragati Divas event is primarily to showcase our innovative product at, in a single place to all the stakeholders. It happens for five days a year. Last time that we had was in January of 2020 before the pandemic. And, and by stakeholders, uh, who, who all do you mean? Uh, stakeholders, I mean uh, the farmers, our uh, seed distributors, uh, the um, industry stakeholders like the retail chain, uh, people, middlemen, the Mandi people, government officials, agricultural college students, botanical, uh, botany graduates. So many people come and visit these Prakritivas uh, uh, event, uh, which happens for five days. It's, it's a live demonstration in the field for all the innovation products. And there we also serve them uh, live counters, which means just harvest from the, uh, from the field and directly serve them. And there are two queues, one for yellow watermelon and one for the red watermelon. And the students always, uh, you know, after tasting the yellow watermelon, they always push their friends uh, who have come along with them into the yellow watermelon queue from the red watermelon. So that's, that's a, a very emotive moment for our breeders uh, where there can't be another best, better feedback for us uh, from, uh, you know, than this. In terms of retail price, is there a difference between the conventional variety and this? In our um, uh, pilot area, wherever we have done the trials, the farmers have fetched uh, almost 30% more, more, more price. The, the, the buyers have actually given 30% more price. So we assume that uh, the prices in wherever they have sold, 
that there is there also the 30% hike would be there my understanding is that at least one area where that we followed uh, with this farmer whom i told the prices were at least 4 to 5 rupees higher than the red watermelon yes mr muthu thank you very much for joining us thank you thank you mr ray thanks till next week goodbye and god bless